Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. I hope you believe that just beyond the clouds, the sky is always blue. Stay in this teaching long enough and you will believe that. Stay in this teaching long enough and you will find yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, able to really live your life in trust. It was a long, 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 long time ago that I was first introduced to the idea that one either believes that one lives in a benevolent universe or a malevolent universe. I believe it was Einstein who basically said, you get to decide, do you live in one or the other? And how you answer that question, whether you believe you live in a universe that is essentially benevolent or essentially malevolent, colors everything in your life. I believe we live in a benevolent universe, that there absolutely is a force for good operative in the universe and operative in you and in me. And when we get that, we find it becomes easier and easier to live our lives in trust, to live our lives in faith. You and I are forever practicing how we live life. Have you ever stopped to think about that? That you are practicing how you are living your life. The challenge is a lot of us are practicing unconsciously. We're not paying attention to what we're practicing. If you are good at worrying, you could be really good at meditating. Either one is a focused attention of your mental energy, a focused attention, what you're going to be zeroing in on. And so we are forever practicing the way that we are living our lives, thought by thought, action by action, decision by decision. And so I want us to really explore together how we might live in greater trust, how we might live in greater faith. You know, Jesus talked often of faith. And sometimes he talked about faith and acknowledged his followers at how strong their faith was, saying, your faith has made you well. And other times he chided them, about their lack of faith. You might remember Matthew when he talked about, consider the lilies of the field, how they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet not even Solomon was arrayed in such beauty and glory. And yet the grass is thrown into the fire. How can you be of so little faith? How can you have so little faith? God will clothe you. God will give you what you need. And so there were times when he was talking about faith that he was, was acknowledging the faith that people had, and other times he was chiding them 
because they seem to be lacking in the expression of faith. You may remember also there was a time that there was a father who had a child who was born, today we would call the child a child that was suffering from epilepsy. And the child would often have seizures. And the father had heard about Jesus and Jesus' ability to heal. And he said to Jesus, could you take pity on us? If you can do something, if you can heal him. And Jesus looked at him and said, if you can, meaning if I can, you're asking me if I can, don't you believe? And the father's answer was, yes, I believe. Help my unbelief. The father's answer has always been powerful to me in helping me to deepen my faith. Because when Jesus asked him, do you believe? With God, all things are possible. Do you believe? And the father said, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. Do you ever feel like that? I bet you do. I bet you do. I bet you have a faith within you. And hopefully, if you are in this teaching and in this practice, that faith is growing over time. But there also may be times that you feel stretched to the very edge of the faith that you've developed, and that there's a part of you that's saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. And in the story, we're told that the father's son was healed. And what that suggests to me, no matter how that healing may have taken place, what that suggests to me is that in our humanness, we can have both of those within us, but it's where we put more of our attention, what we hold on to a little bit tighter, a little bit deeper. As I was thinking about this lesson and doing a little bit more research for it just the other night, I came across a book that I'd never heard about, and it's a book that is a listing of the 307 questions that Jesus asked. I thought, somebody counted them. <laughs> 307 questions that, that, Jesus, that Jesus asked. And the, the part of the premise of the book, or the idea of the book, is that Jesus asked a lot of questions. And I had to smile because the only book, real book that I've ever written, was Ask Yourself This. And it's a book of questions, and in no way am I putting myself anywhere near on par with a master teacher. But I had a smile. 307 questions he asked. There were about 183 questions that were asked of him, and he only answered three of them according to this book. That's fascinating to me. He only answered three, but he asked a lot of questions. He asked a lot of questions. Why? I think that he asks questions because questions open us up to a deeper part of ourselves. When he would ask, do you believe? That question opened the listener up or had the potential to open the listener up to a deeper part of himself or herself, right? to open up to a deeper part of their faith or perhaps their fear or their doubt. 
He taught a lot by question and by story and example as well, but by question to open his followers up to their deeper wisdom. The only questions we're told that he answered were these. Pilate had asked him, so then you are king? And Jesus said, yes, I am. His disciples asked a question. The question was, will you teach us to pray like John the Baptist's followers were taught to pray? And Jesus answered that question. And he answered that question with what we now call the Lord's Prayer, telling his disciples to pray in like manner. And then he was asked another question that he, that he did answer. What is the greatest commandment? And he answered that saying it was to love God with all your mind, with all your heart, and with your all and with all your soul, to be all in, not to a God up there, but an infinite wisdom, an infinite presence, an infinite force for good within you and transcendent, imminent and transcendent, to practice that way of thinking, to act as if that is so, to base your actions and decisions on that way of thinking. Bob Proctor said, faith and fear both demand you believe in something you cannot see. Isn't that good? Faith and fear both demand that you believe in something you cannot see. Shannon Alder said, fear is the glue that keeps you stuck. Faith is the solvent that sets you free. Jesus talked about having faith as small as a mustard seed. What was he trying to say there? I think he was saying, start with what you got. And when there's that part of you that says, I believe, help my unbelief, do what you can to turn the volume down on the unbelief voice and to turn the volume up on the I believe voice. Practice what you take into your mind. Practice what you listen to. Practice be discern and discerning in what you read. In a book I've been using off and on in this series written by Thomas Becknell of Earth and Sky, he writes, faith is not merely blind trust but an exercise of imagination's grasp. Faith is not merely blind trust, but an exercise of imagination's grasp. In metaphysics, we talk about the power of imagination. We talk about the power to hold an image, a picture, an idea in mind of what we'd like to bring forth for ourselves and for others. It's one of the tools we use to transform our lives, to hold the picture of what it is that we would like to bring forth, to hold it as clearly and consistently as we can, knowing that to the extent that we hold that image, that picture clearly in our mind's eye, that our, the very force of our nature, the very movement and energy within us begins to move in that direction. 
decades ago when I used to have a lot of fun teaching first-timers how to ice skate. The biggest clue, because they would always be scared when they come to the end of the rink and it was no longer straight and they had to turn. You know, the end of the rink was always where there would be a lot of crashes right into the, you know, the, the oval part of the rink. I would say, all you have to do, don't worry about your feet. Focus on your eyes, where you are looking. Because if you look the direction you want to go, your body's suddenly going to go with you. And without you even doing much more than looking, your feet are going to follow. It was what were they imaging? What where were they placing their attention? This is how we build our muscle of faith, our muscle of trust, by what we choose to consistently look at and look toward. It's simple, and sometimes the longer we are in teachings like this, the more we tend to poo-poo the things that once were magic to us, and we say, oh yeah, I know that. Pull them back out again. Remember how powerful they were the first time you heard them. And if it's the first time you're hearing them now, hold on tight to them. What is it that you are envisioning for yourself right now? Maybe you feel as if the slate has been wiped clean because of the pandemic and everything's up for grabs. That's wonderful. That's actually wonderful. In Hebrews, we read, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There was a piece in the book of Earth and Sky that I was really moved by. The author was um, paraphrasing a bit of a writing done by John Burroughs about how faith works. And I hope I can do justice to describing the piece that John Burroughs had written because it was so vivid to me about this idea of faith. And he wrote that he was in his room and he, he was noticing the sight of a honeysuckle vine that had come in through his open window. And he had noticed how this honeysuckle vine was in through the open window and was lying across the windowsill. But that over time, that honeysuckle kept reaching toward the light and almost as if it was jumping, the vine, almost as if it was jumping midair from one windowsill to the next windowsill, just reaching across the invisible toward the light. I don't know if you can get a picture of that in your mind, but I can. And when I do, to me it is this delicious picture of what faith is. That reaching out across the invisible. Like that scene in Indiana Jones, right? Right? Stepping out into what he thought was the abyss, but as soon as he took that first step, what happened? The invisible staircase or whatever it was comes up powerful, powerful. That's what it is to me to know 
that we are supported in seen and in unseen ways. Maybe it's fitting that I share this little illustration with you since it's Halloween and I forgot to even wish you happy Halloween. Some of you are in bright orange and kind of in, in, in costume. So happy Halloween, rather late in the surface, right? But spiders, now I know some people can't stand spiders. So to me, this is about a spider, but it's about a spider web. About a spider web. I'm not fond of spiders, but I love spider webs. I love walking out in usually this time of year in the early morning in the dew. Emery, don't shake your head. They're beautiful. The majesty, the delicateness of a spider web, right? Just the other day, John, my husband, knowing that I'm fascinated by spider webs, by how they can jump out into midair having within them what they need because Mother Nature wired them that way and Mother Nature, God, wired you not to spin a web, but to do whatever you need to do. Yours isn't to spin a web. I don't know what yours is to do. That's your job to find out. But you're wired to be able to do it. So John calls me out the other day, a couple of weeks ago, and he says, Wendy, watch. And between our garage, the corner of our garage, and I think a ficus tree that grows somewhat close to it, there was a spider just beginning his web. He had just jumped from the ficus tree to the edge of the garage. So he had, I guess, the one first line to start. And I stood there watching in absolute awe, this creature spinning this web, jumping into the abyss, knowing it had within it everything it needed to be able to create that web. And I thought, I want to live like that. I want to never, ever, ever forget that I am hardwired with something within me that has prepared me to do what is mine to do. And that the same is true of you and everyone else on the planet, whether we know it or not. I think teachings and places like this help introduce us to these truths and then help support us in living in the knowledge of these truths when it gets kind of shaky, and when we can say, I believe, help my unbelief, because something really has brought us right to the edge of our faith. But you already have it. And so in closing, there are just three things that I want to share with you. What living in faith, living in trust looks like to me. Number one, it is choosing to believe in the good even when I don't see it. As especially when I don't see it. Choosing to believe in the good when I don't see it, especially when I don't see it. Second, trusting that there are seen and unseen sources of support available to me. Trusting that there are seen and unseen sources of support available to me. And the last, stretching 
and reaching toward the light. Stretching and reaching toward the light, just like that honeysuckle vine. Namaste. Mm-hmm.